0: much for that great singing about the gospel of Jesus Christ and, of course, his resurrection. Thank you for Stephanie uh, putting her time in uh, to direct that and the people their time in practicing that music. It's amazing how good voices can sound uh, when they practice together. This morning, I'd like you to take your Bibles And turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the passage also in your bulletin, to make it easy for you. And this morning I want to really uh, look at what, what is the most incredible thing about the gospel. I already said in weeks before that the centrality of the gospel is the death of Christ. The most glorious aspect of the gospel is justification by faith but the most incredible thing the most incredible thing about the gospel message is simply this the resurrection of jesus christ but one step further it's your resurrection that's incredible to think that you will be raised from the dead those who do not know Christ will be raised from the dead. And those who know Christ will be raised from the dead. But all will be raised from the dead because Jesus Himself has risen. That's really what's happening in this passage of Scripture here. It's telling us Christ is risen. But if Christ has not been risen from the dead, His death upon the cross, rather than being a ground for our everlasting salvation, would, would really have been an occasion for our despair. If death had been able to keep Him, sin would not have been conquered. Therefore, the resurrection is the very foundation of the church. Everything hinges upon it. Without it, all else would be vain, empty, and meaningless. So the the Apostle Paul is writing in in 1 Corinthians, this chapter, chapter 15, and he's really correcting a problem. And the problem in the Corinthian church at this point is that they don't understand the resurrection. That's, that's not hard to believe. This resurrection is really not something we fully understand. It's something we believe by faith. But we know it's true. See, the Corinthians, in whom he's writing to, were, den- were not denying the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They were actually believing that. What they were having a hard time was with the resurrection of their body and of the body of Jesus Christ. So what the Apostle Paul was insistent upon was that if man denied the rec- resurrection of the body, he thereby denied the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In so doing, emptying the Christian message of its truth and the Christian life of its reality. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12 and 13... Paul is correcting an error in the church that the body uh, will be raised. And it says, now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of, of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. So see, there's always been a problem. It could have been a Greek philosophy that found its way into the church influencing uh, some to deny the resurrection of the body. It could be a heresy called Gnosticism. It could be even the teaching of the Sadducees during that day where the Bible says on, uh, that the Sadducees who deny the resurrection s- slipped into the church and was confusing people. Today we have similar counterparts. We have the, the modernists, the false cults, and others that deny the physical resurrection of the body, it seems like people would be quickly, more quickly to uh, believe in reincarnation than resurrection. Or some other thing. Or people would believe that we just die like common animals and that's it. Once you're dead, you're dead. That's it. It's over. But see, if that's true, then there's no hope for anyone And so that's why the Bible goes on to say, if that's true, go ahead, eat, drink, and be merry. Live like you want. But see, that's not true. Because Scripture tells us that there will be a resurrection. In fact, in verse number 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, we see here that uh, the the gospel, what it is in verse number 1 and 2, is simply this. Uh, It's something that is preached to you. It's proclaimed to people. They have to hear it. It comes from God, from above, to us. And then once they hear it, there's several things that happen. Number one, they receive it in verse number one, that which you also received. And then once you receive the gospel, you're able to stand in the gospel. The gospel does something to us. It roots us and makes us well grounded in what is true because that truth comes from God. In fact, the good news gives a person stability, an unshakable foundation, and a sure hope of what goes beyond this life. The gospel of Jesus Christ in an uncertain world will keep you upright. The gospel of Jesus Christ in temptation will actually give you resistance The gospel of Jesus Christ in a hurting world will enable the believer to endure a broken heart and even physical sickness that agonizes the body. And also the Bible says that the gospel, which also saves you. So the gospel has a past, a present and a future aspect to it. I want to speak more to the future aspect of it this morning than the present aspect of it. But in verse number 3 and 4 of chapter 15, it tells us what the simple gospel is. If some people don't know what it is, it's simply this. Christ died for our sins, right? That simply means this. He died a real real bodily sacrifice. Also, it says in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 15, he was buried. A real bodily burial. And then thirdly, it tells us in verse 4 of 15, he was raised on the third day. And he was did all that according to the Scripture, according to what had already been written in the Bible 500 years, 1,000 years before it ever happened. And so the Bible says it's all going to play out according to what has been written written in other words the scripture is saying that to receive the gospel is to receive the resurrected lord who gives life transforming the heart transforming the mind transforming the soul and gives a sure hope that our bodies will rise from the grave he will raise your body into a spiritually transformed, imperishable body. Now, that brings me to verse 35 uh, in your text, which is in your bulletin. And this is what the gospel actually produces it produces a hope beyond this world. And so, here it's verse number 35, it starts out with a most foolish question. And look what it says there in verse number 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised? And with what kind of body do they come? So you could see there that the people were thinking, who were asking the question whether they were just simply ignorant of the facts or that they were doubters or that they were mockers or all three. All right, they were simply asking a question, I just don't get it how a, this body that we have will someday come back to life. Here's the most evident answer that is given from Scripture in verse number 36. So, so what is the answer to the question? Paul addresses the questioner as, notice in verse number 36, he simply says this, starting out, you fool. Now, that doesn't make for friends. When you speak like that, but Paul wasn't trying to make friends. He was trying to clarify truth and he says to them, and it could be that they were doubters and mockers that he dressed them so strongly. He says to them, you foolish people, you refuse to believe something God has been telling people in general revelation and special revelation, even though their limited minds could not completely understand it. What, what is he talking about? That in creation, God has been screaming to humanity the principle of resurrection. It is all around us, all the time. And he's saying, this is nothing new. You've been seeing it with your eyes your whole life. What is that principle? Look at verse number 36 and verse verse 38. You fool, that which you sow, plant, does not come to life unless it dies. Verse 37, and that which you sow, you do not sow the body which is to be but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something else. Verse 38, but God gives it a body just as he wishes, and to each of the seeds a body of its own. Now, let me just stop right there. He is saying to you and to me and to all who live and are able to read a passage like this, it says, listen, God starts out that the body is something that has has to be put into the ground first and die before it ever could be resurrected, before New life could ever come in. In other words, Scripture answers that in a sense we will have the same bodies, and at the same time we will have new and different bodies. But it first starts with death. We will still be recognizable. And just as a particular kind of seed always turns into the same kind of plant that you plant in the springtime or throughout the year, that seed must go into the ground first and die before it bears a plant, right? And the seed is way different than what, what grows. It seems like the seed is just like, ugh. But the plant is glorious, it's beautiful. It's, it's got variety to it. It's got color to it. Everything that grows comes from a seed. I had a jar in my basement uh, that contained shriveled seeds of marigolds. When Jane and I first uh, actually uh, were married, we had a, a little section of grass, which we thought should have some flowers, so we picked Marigolds because we knew that they were very hardy and resilient flowers that turned out to be actually true. And year after year, we would plant them, and we would tend to them, and they would bloom several months even into the winter. So when we left our humble abode there, our 10x48 trailer home, to come here, I gathered up as many of the shriveled marigold seeds as I could. And I stuck them in a jar. Here's the amazing thing about those shriveled up marigold seeds. After being here for 14 years, forgetting completely about that bottle, I found that bottle of seeds. And I said to myself, I wonder if I plant these seeds, they will grow. And they will be as hardy as the ones I planted 14 years before. So I took that bottle, decided to plant those seeds in a barrel planter. Guess what happened? I stuck them in the ground, watered them a little bit, and I do not have a green thumb, believe me. Neither does my wife. And they started to sprout. And to my surprise, they bloomed into very colorful full and a fresh bunch of marigolds that lasted well into the colder months. And I say to myself, how amazing is that? How could that be? How do you explain that? Every time I read this section of Scripture, I am reminded about the spiritual reality and hope of the resurrection, especially my own resurrection. Now, He further explains, and I want you to look at verse number 39 and 41, to illustrate in the same line of thinking that if God in his ability to create the tiniest seed or bug or to create earthly bodies or massive heavenly bodies with such variety and power, there is no sense questioning God's ability to create any kind of resurrection body he sees fit. Look what it says in verse 39. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one flesh of men and another flesh of beasts and another flesh of birds and another of fish. Is that not true? There is so much variety in the world, in creation, all around us, it smacks us in the face every day. Look at verse 40. There are also heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is one, the glory of the earthly is another. Verse 41, there is one glory of the sun, there is another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So, see, if God can do all this, and there is so much variety, it is really foolish to question the ability for God to create anything at all. Especially new resurrection bodies. But first, that body must go to the grave and die. Just like Jesus Christ had to come into this world, robe himself with human flesh, and die on a cross. And in dying on a cross, all right, he, once he died, was able to now rise from the grave. If he ...did not rise, there could not be resurrection. If he did not die, there could not be resurrection at all, whatsoever. So, in the shriveled seed, the identity of what will appear is preserved. The difference will be extraordinary, though. Yet the identity of the body will be the same. The very body that is buried, it will live again. It shall spring up from the dead from dead, a dead, decaying body. That's what the Scripture tells us. So the resurrection from the dead is indeed an incredible thing. Any sort of thinking people, for a number of reasons, will admit that. First of all, there is no experience of any living person of seeing such a thing in our day, in our time. We know that there are such things as resuscitation for those who have been declared clinically dead for a few moments, but for a person to have been in the grave for days and weeks and months and years and centuries to burst the bands of death, to push through the soil and to rise again from the coffin, coffin is something no human can attest to except in the day that Christ lived. In fact, the universal experience of the race is that it just doesn't happen. You don't see graves opening up. Pretty much, when you pass the cemetery, it's pretty much set. It's done. Secondly, consider for a moment the state of those who are dead. Some people suppose that those... We lay in fancy coffins are to be taken up like those preserved mummies in Egypt. But that's not so. The chronology of decay goes something like this. The thing that goes first is the brain. And soon there is a large cavity between the ears and heart. Soon follows. These are the two vital organs of man and the rest of the body trails along not far behind that. The bones are the last to disintegrate. And so man returns to the dust, open any casket, left long in the ground, and you will find a bit of brown dust. Last but not least, there's another thing to ponder, and it's that many people have been dissolved in lime pits, or burned in great fires, or crushed in building collapses, or buried in the depth of the sea, or have been destroyed or eaten by great creatures, while you will find the particles of men and women under every tree, in every crevice, in every corner of the world. See, shall these particles rise again? Is it not indeed incredible that God can do that? How could it be? Well, God, being all-knowing and all-powerful, is able to trace every particle and every atom and bring it back together. And He can do it in a way where the body reflects its own personal identity, and at the same time, He makes the new transformed body glorious and different. Now, you may be saying this, Lord, I don't want the same body I got. I want a different body. Can I order one? Check off the list? But you know what? We're not going to think the same way then. We're not going to think in terms of beauty and strength or any of those things. Those are not going to come into our mind. It's going to be completely and totally different. We are going to be totally satisfied with, with what God does and what He gives We are going to absolutely be amazed for all eternity on what he does in our new transformed body. There's no exact analogy for the resurrection. There are those who call, uh, there are those that call analogies analogies, but they break down after close inspection. We have heard of a grub the worm, the caterpillar that crawls in the mud and one day it begins to turn on upon itself and weave its own tomb to make its own winding sheet builds its own coffin. And then in time we see the cocoon break open and a beautiful butterfly soar into the air. Some say that's a picture of resurrection. It is a beautiful picture, no doubt. But it is far from... A picture of the resurrection that's being talked about in Scripture. Let's go one step further. Take the cocoon, its self spun tomb containing the caterpillar and the hopeful butterfly, and grind it into powder. Mix the powder with clay place it in the rivers of the earth until it's spread all over the world, and then call forth from that solution the glory of a butterfly that would be closer to the resurrection we're talking about in Scripture. See, saying all this, it is not difficult for God to do this. Nature has been telling you all along that God has been doing it. We look in all of the universe, and we see the great things God has done and creative ability that He has. And yet we are told in the Word of God, all shall rise from the grave. It is recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 28. Do not marvel at this. For an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs shall hear His voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to resurrection of life, and those who committed evil deeds to the resurrection of judgment. See, it was the Apostle Paul who gave the solution to the problem when he said in Acts chapter 26, verse number 8, why is it considered incredible among you people that if God does raise the dead, if God is God, If God is all-knowing and all-powerful, as the Bible teaches us, He is. This is not an impossible thing. So, it is found right here in chapter 15 of Corinthians, verse 51 and 52, that the dead will be raised. And if you notice what it says there, if you have your Bibles, look at verse number 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep, But we shall be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So brethren, what it's saying there is that we are going to be changed. It's going to happen quickly and it's going to happen at the last trump of God. That's hope. That's the hope that is given to us. Now that brings me to the passage of Scripture that I'm heading to in verse number 42, because that means that the gospel brings with it a most glorious hope. Having to do with our bodies. Having to do with our connection to Jesus Christ, to all those who know Christ as Lord and Savior, have a hope and a promise that is given to them. And it says actually four things here 's the first thing it says in verse number forty two that the transformation, the change will produce an imperishable body. Look what it says in verse number forty two so also is the resurrection of the dead it is sown a perishable body. it is raised an imperishable body that means a body that cannot decay a body does does not corrupt. A body that will live forever. A body unlike our body but like our body. We do live in uncomfortable bodies. I'll tell you that we do. They're full of sufferings, aren't they? They're full of aches. They're full of pains. We're growing older. These things only remind us that we cannot remain here. We can only stay on earth for a limited period of time, and it must return to where it came from. Genesis tells us, actually in the beginning of the Bible, it says, by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, and for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And then Ecclesiastes tells us this, then... You were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return and the dust will return to the earth as it was and the spirit will return to God who gave it. So simply is that there is going to this body that we have is going to be transformed into an imperishable body. One like Jesus rose from the grave with. Jesus, if you think about Jesus, he's the first fruits of the resurrection. He was the first one to have a permanent, imperishable, glorified, resurrected body. It had both material part of it and it had an imperishability part of it. And the resurrection, in the resurrection, Jesus permanently vacated the tomb in the same physical body in which he was crucified. And of course, we see in Scripture that he, we can see his crucifixion scars all right he was able to be handled and seen we can see that he ate food in scripture after his resurrection we can also see that jesus christ's body could uh, apparently disappear and reappear at will and then also he could be identified or make himself recognizable at will or withhold his identity at will so yet he was recognized So it was the same identity. People knew who he was, and yet his body was completely and totally different. It was an imperishable body. And just as the resurrection of Jesus was physical in nature, so will the resurrection of Christians be physical in nature, yet with imperishable and immortal bodies. Paul, who told that Pastor Timothy, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. So it is through the gospel that we have the hope of an imperishable body. Secondly, in verse number 43, it says something else about the body, that the transformation or the change will produce a glorious body. Is, is sown in dishonor and raised in glory. Now, when the body goes into the coffin, then is placed under the earth or is cremated, there is nothing glorious about that. Do you find it glorious when you go to a wake or a funeral? I think exactly what the Bible says here. It is sown, it is placed in the grave in dishonor, in disgrace. Every time I'm at a funeral, I get the sense something has gone terribly wrong. Of course, I know what the Bible says, so death passed upon all men for all have sinned, right? See, our problem is sin and its condemnation. That's what our problem is. We're under the condemning wrath of God because we have sinned against God, right? The only thing that delivers you from God's condemnation is believing in Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look down to verse number 54 in your Bibles, you'll notice... I'm not going there today, but I want to read it. Look what it says. And when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Verse 55. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, sting. Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. So the Bible is saying listen, the sting of death is sin. And what gives sin its power is the law. Why? Because the law has to be satisfied. And when it's satisfied by Jesus Christ, remember, He gives you freedom because He takes your penalty. But if you don't believe in Him, you have to take and bear your own penalty for eternity. So see, here He is speaking that the resurrection is the hope of believers that we're going to be, yes, put in the grave in disgrace and dishonor, But we are going to be raised in glory. If we look at the promise of Scripture here, in contrast to the way Christians will be raised, it is raised as something glorious and beautiful. When you plant a seed, the first thing it does, it it, it dies. The process of fermentation and decomposition is what triggers the new life. Similarly, our bodies will die, be placed in the grave, and then be raised. Just as a seed dies and produces a plant, this is far more glorious than the seed, that the body that will be raised will be far more glorious than we could ever imagine or ever think. The seed contains the pattern for the plant that grows, all the genetic code for the marigold. To grow is contained inside the seed, and likewise our resurrection bodies will bear the resemblance to the body that is buried, but with a far, far, matter of fact, unexplainable glory, one that we could not even imagine. The shriveled seed of our dead bodies will go into the ground and die, but then God will transform it into something magnificent. It will be imperishable, and it will be glorious and beautiful. That's the promise that we have. He's not done yet. Look at verse number 43, the middle of the verse. The transformation will produce a powerful body. It is sown in weakness and raised in power. Power. That our lives end in such weakness. We need someone to carry us to our last resting place. You always need pallbearers at weddings, excuse me, not weddings, but at funerals. Uh, Hopefully you don't need it at a wedding. But to take you to the last place you're going to rest. Or carry you in an urn to one of those little things. Put you in there. There's nothing about death that's honoring. Nothing. It's the greatest contradiction to life. It was never meant to be here, in a sense. It's very confusing. You can't really explain it. Yet the Bible's not talking here in this passage about death, it's talking about resurrection, it's talking about a new life in Christ, it's talking about living with the Lord. So even though our lives end in weakness and someone has to carry us to our last resting place and you lie still there with no power to move independently and you're just dead. Your seed is dead in the coffin. But the Bible says here's the promise you will be raised with power. You will have a power in, a, in this new body that is completely and totally different than we, what we ever could imagine. The weak and the puny things are actually put away and are gone forever. We walk now by sight, limitations are removed, we are full of life and consciousness. As 1 John tells us, we know that when He appears, we will be like Him, and we will see Him as He is. We will have the power of body. We will have the power of soul. We will have the power of mind like we never had before. Imagine having a clear and accurate understanding of things all the time. Imagine having a body that can't even get sick. Can't even get sniffles. Yeah, our heavenly bodies will be real bodies. They will be permanent bo- bodies. They will be eternally perfect. And you'll have, never have to look in the mirror and notice those wrinkles. You'll never have to See the receding hairline, or as they say, there'll be no more bunions, bulges, or baldness. You'll never have a day of sickness, a day of aches or pains, a day of despair and depression. Those things will be gone. There will be no tears, there will be no funerals, there will be no hospitals, there will be no need for doctors. There will be no need for the things that we have such a need for in this world. They are gone. You won't be susceptible to injury or disease or even allergies. None of those things will be in heaven You will be in an absolutely perfect, imperishable, glorious, strong body. That's what you'll be. That's who you'll be. And that's the hope that he's given these believers. That's the hope that we need. We need the hope to know that there's something beyond this life. It's like it says in 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep, and of course the word asleep there means dead. They're asleep, but it's usually used for Christians, those who are asleep in Christ. Their body lays there decaying, but when that trumpet call sounds, those bodies are going to be raised to a body that we could never imagine. But there's one other thing he mentions here. He mentions this in verse number 44, that your transformation will produce a spiritual body. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. You know, we know all about our natural bodies with all their uh, problems and idiosyncrasies. We, we, we know well that. We know its weaknesses and its temptations and its lusts and its passions. We know that. Christians know well the struggle between the flesh, fleshly desires and the spiritual desires. The battle every day to choose between serving God or serving sin. But just imagine. Being fully dominated by the Spirit of God that bodies and souls being in full cooperation with the Spirit of God all the time, without any struggle, without any warfare, they will be spiritually in tune bodies with God, with no boundaries, no obstacles, no barriers. That would be amazing. Someday I won't have the struggle. Someday you won't have the struggle. So very clearly he says listen this new body will be imperishable it will be a glorious body it will be a powerful body it will be a spiritual body. Now my friend will you be with him forever? You will be raised from the grave but there is a resurrection to life and there's a resurrection to condemnation. Those who are raised to condemnation, will also be raised with new bodies, but it will be a body that is going to endure eternal punishment in a place called the lake of fire. You don't want to go there. And Christ is the answer. Resurrection is promised to all human beings The just will be raised to glorification, and the unjust will be raised to eternal, conscious separation from the presence of God. Do you have your heart on Christ? Do you have the assurance that you will be with Him? Do you know your sins have been washed away and forgiven? Have you come and called upon Him and trusted Him as your Lord and Savior? If you do not know, then there is a reason why you don't know. Most likely it's because you're still trusting in yourself or you're still trusting in something you have done or you're still trusting in your goodness or your merit or some morality or goodness that you have earned along the way that gives you passage to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. We just must simply agree with God that you are a sinner guilty as charged and cast yourself on his mercy and grace and all who come to him, he will no wise cast out. Lord, it was for me you died and I placed my trust in your cross. Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. So all who trust in Jesus Christ alone for eternal salvation and repent of their sins to follow Him are given the free gift of eternal life. Paid for within an infinite price by the one who died and shed His blood in your stead and who promises that, having risen from the dead, He will take you to be with Him forever in paradise in resurrected bodies that's the hope and brethren there is no other hope in all the years that i've lived on the earth i found none nobody has the answers there will be wars and rumors of wars there will be sickness and dying there'll be 24-hour days in and out And nobody has the answers. Science had its chance. Philosophy had its chance. Government has its chance. Politics has its chance. Nobody has the answers. The answer is found right here in the Word of God. Amen? And we have the hope as Christians that in Christ Jesus, not only are we saved and forgiven and made right with God, but someday we're going to live with Him forever and ever and ever. And that is is our hope. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for these dear people. I pray, Lord, that you would bless them far beyond what they they could ever think or imagine. And I do pray, Lord, for those who don't know you. Please, Lord, don't let another day go by where they don't deal with it. Lord, convict them deeply of their sin that they may just cast themselves upon Your grace and that You may save them like You saved me and You saved others and You are still in the business of saving. Thank You, Lord, for that. And if we're believers this morning, Lord, thank You that our labor is not in vain because Christ is risen. Thank You, Lord, that You remove the stinger of sin and paid for its condemnation so we can be set free. Thank you, Lord, for the promise that the very body you rose from the grave with is also granted to us so we can actually live in your presence and enjoy you forever and ever and ever. Let it start here, Lord. Let it start with repentance, faith, trust in Christ, and following him all our days. And, Lord, we will give you the glory and the praise for all that you have and will accomplish. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.